Hey, hey, Bleed Blue Blog here to preview the NCAA tournament first round. UConn versus Maryland, 7-10 tip on Saturday. I believe that is the 20th, Saturday, March 20th, 7-10 tip. CBS, The Bird, and Jim Spinarkle are going to be on the call. So we're going to take a look at Maryland. If you haven't already, we've tweeted out an article we wrote previewing this matchup. It goes through when Maryland has the ball, when UConn has the ball. This is essentially going to be a watered-down version of that, as in less content. So what we'll do is we'll go through Maryland's record. We'll go through some Ken Palm numbers, some synergy numbers, take a look at their roster, and then the four things we are looking for in the matchup. So... Maryland, 16 and 13 overall, 9 and 11 in the Big Ten. They lost in the quarterfinals to Michigan, a very exciting game. Maryland was up early. I was just watching the highlights. Something to note, Michigan had four offensive rebounds in the first six minutes, so something to monitor. Um, So Maryland was up big early. Not big, but they were winning early. Second half, Michigan came back. There was a whole Mark Turgeon, Juwan Howard thing. If you haven't seen it, go you know, look it up, you'll find it. And Michigan ended up pulling away and winning. So Maryland lost in the quarterfinals. Their best win on the year was a 66-63 victory over Illinois, the Big Ten champion on January 10th. So obviously that's about two months ago. Conference awards, Eric Ayala, honorable mention Big Ten. Aaron Wiggins, honorable mention Big Ten. Daryl Morsey, all defensive team. Daryl Morsey, defensive player of the year. They are 31st in Ken Palm in the quote-unquote four factors by Ken Palm, which goes to a direct correlation of how teams play and how they may fare in the NCAA tournament. Talks about effective field goal percentage, turnover percentage, offensive rebound percentage, free throws attempts per field goals attempt. So Maryland ranks on offense, 67th in effective field goal percentage, 67th in turnover percentage, 327th in offensive rebound percentage, which means they don't rebound well offensively, and 150th in free throw attempts per field goal attempts on the defensive side of the ball maryland ranks 101st in effective field goal percentage d 289th in turnover percentage d meaning they do not turn you over 58th in offensive in offensive rebound percentage meaning they generally do a good job keeping teams off the glass and they rank 40th in free throw attempts per field goal made uconn comparatively um worst effective field goal percentage 195 95th worst turnover percentage Sixth in offensive rebounding percentage, as we know. Worse in free throw attempts per field goals game. But on the defensive side of the ball, um, they're good at defective field goal percentage. D ranking 28th. They force turnovers at a little above average, 126th in the country. Struggling at opponents' offensive rebound percentage, which is kind of shocking. Uh, 248th in that, and they are 292nd in free throw attempts per field goals attempts and as we know that means UConn they like to foul uh three point percentage Maryland shooting about 35 percent from three 113th in the country letting up about 34 percent from three 205th in the country Maryland ranks 42nd in adjusted efficiency on offense and 27th in adjusted efficiency on defense tempo they like to play slow 317th in adjusted tempo 285th in average possession Length onto the roster for the Terrapins. Eric Ayala, number five, junior, 6'5, 200, averaging 
Uh, about 34 minutes per game, 15 points per game, four rebounds per game, two assists, shooting 43% from the field, 34% from three. Number two, Aaron Wiggins, Jr., 6'6", 200, about 33 minutes per game, 14 points per game, six rebounds, two and a half assists, 43% from the field, 33% from three. Number 24, Dante Scott, sophomore, 6'7", 230. They'll play him at the five, averaging 30 minutes a game, 11 points a game, six rebounds a game, two assists, 50% from the field, 43% from three. Number 11, Daryl Morsell, the Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year. He's a senior, 6'5", 200, 29 minutes a game, nine points, four rebounds, three assists, 49% from the field, only 13 for 50 from three. Number 13, Hakeem Hart, 6'6", sophomore, 25 minutes a game, seven points, three and a half rebounds, two assists, 44% from the field, 34% from three. Number 25, Jerry's Hamilton, 6'8", 235, junior. He will also play the stretch five, 20 minutes a game, seven points a game, two and a half rebounds, 46% from the field, 44% from three. And lastly, rounding out their rotation, number 30, Galen Smith, 6'9", senior, the real true five the Terps have. 14 minutes a game, four points a game, two and a half boards, 54% from the field, hasn't attempted a three yet. Uh, just a couple of quick hitters about their roster. Ayala, who's their leading points getter, that scored in double figures in all but four games this year, averaging 14 points per game over his last five. Wiggins scored in double figures in Maryland's last 10 games, averaging 17.4 points per game on 51% shooting the 6-6 swingman. He likes to come off screens. He's coming off screens close to 18% of possessions. And on those possessions, he's shooting 46% from the field. Dante Scott, who plays the stretch five, again, the 6-7 sophomore, scored in double figures in 14 of 17 games in the months of November, December, January. However, since February, scored in double figures in just two of 12 games. He's, had, he's also made at least two threes, in 11 games this year. Morsell, your defensive player of the year, scored in double figures in five of Maryland's last six. He's averaging close to 12 points per game on 64% shooting in those games, 72% from two. Hakeem Hart scored in double figures in eight games this year. He did have a 32-point performance against St. Peter's, so obviously not some juggernaut, but still he has the ability to, to fill it up. He's hit at least two threes in seven games this year. Lastly, Jarius Hamilton has made at least two threes in 12 games this year. He's made three threes in five games this year. Maryland, they like to go to the pick and roll a lot. 24% of their total possessions end in a pick and roll. They're shooting 44% from the field in those situations, which ranks 54th in the country uh, when their ball handlers keep it, which happens about 11% of the time. Um, out of all possessions, they shoot 48% from the field, which ranks 11th in the country. Uh, Ayala has been used the most in pick and rolls, 175 times, shooting 55% from the field on his 92 keeps. When the ball is passed to the screen setters, Maryland has also found success there. They're shooting a combined 49% from the field. Scott and Hamilton, more of your stretch fives. Stretch fives, excuse me, will pick and pop or slip to the three-point line, whereas Smith, the 6'9 Smith, will usually roll, and if he's slipping, it's hard 
to the rack. Maryland will post up occasionally. Uh, about 10% of their possessions come from the post. They're shooting 46% from as a team when the ball's entered into the post, which is right in the middle of the pack, 161st in the country. Scott's been used the most 59 times. He's 7 for 17 when he keeps it. Um, Smith, 16 for 30 when he keeps it. Should be noted that... Um, Morsell, he's at, at 6'4", is shooting 68% in his 34 post-ups this year. Again, he's shooting 72% on twos this year, so they like to put him in those situations, in those uh, post-up post -up situations where he can take advantage of maybe a smaller guard for UConn. I guess that might be Gaffney or Cole if he tries to post up Booknight. Um, I don't know. We've seen it happen before, and I think Booknight's game for it. Uh, on to spot-ups, catch-and-shoots off the dribble. Maryland shooting 37% in spot-up situations, middle of the pack, 164th in the country. Um, catch-and-shoots, 35%, middle of the pack, 151st in the country. And off the dribble, 34%, 169th in the country. In transition, about 22% of their initial shot attempts come in transition, which is a very low number. It ranks 310th in the country, according to hoopmath.com. But when Maryland does, to, does decide to attack in transition, their effective field goal percentage is close to 60%, which ranks 42nd in the country. Uh, quickly, let's, let's talk about UConn when they have the ball um, offensively. So UConn pick and rolls about 30% of possessions. They're only scoring on 36% of all those possessions. Cole leads the team with 201 possessions as a team. UConn shooting 37% when Cole's in a pick and roll. When Cole's kept it 89 times, um, he's shooting 37%. I would love to see what those numbers are out of in the last five games, starting in that first Georgetown game. He's really started to to come along, keeping defenders in jail in, in scoring. Gaffney next, 116 possessions. UConn shooting 35% from the field as a team on his 50 keeps. He's at 30%. Book night, 102 pick and rolls. Team, 38% from the field when he's kept it 65 times. He's shooting 40% from the field, which is obviously um, above average. It's the best on UConn. Andre Jackson's only been used in 21 pick and rolls this year, according to Synergy. However, the team is shooting 47% when he is involved in a pick and roll. Uh, when the screen setters get the ball, so Whaley, Sonogo, Carlton, they're shooting 43% overall, which ranks 231st in the nation. Um, I'm not totally sure if that's, you know, let's say Sonogo sets a ball screen and then rolls, but we don't hit him on the initial roll, and then we do a one more, one more, and then into the post. I don't know if that's classified as a post-up or as a pick-and-roll, okay? He's only been involved in, he's only been throwing the ball 23 times in ball screens, so that makes me think um, that stat I was just talking about was more of a, a, more of a post-up um, stat. So speaking, though, of post-ups, you count about 8% of the time, uh, possession ends in a post-up. So Nogo 70 times on his 61 keeps. He's shooting 43%. Whaley's kept it 20 times in the post, 7 for 15 from the field. Carlton 19 times. He's kept it 6 for 14 from the field. And Tyrese Martin has kept it 13 times, 7 for 13 from the field. Spot-ups, catch-and-shoots off the dribble. Um, book night. Been involved in 30 spot-ups, 29% from the field, 8 for 36 in catch-and-shoot, 36% off the dribble, which despite being, you know, mid-30s, which we don't really translate too good, that's 
amongst his peers, that's, that is good. Um, RJ Cole, 75 spot-ups, 39% from the field, 43% catch-and-shoot. He's also 36% off the dribble. So Booknight and Cole, both at 36%, makes sense you know, because of pick and rolls or book night coming off handoffs into a uh, off the dribble pull up. Tyrese Martin, 56 spot ups, 40% from the field, 37% catch and shoot, seven for 13 off the dribble. Jalen Gaffney, 43% in spot ups, 10 for 27 in catch and shoots, seven for 21 off the dribble. Polly, 31% spot ups, 32% in catch and shoot, 13 for 31 off the dribble. And Andre Jackson, very limited sample size, 16 spot ups, three for 14 from the field. Um, in those spot ups, two for ten, and catching shoots over five off the dribble, Andre. But gotta do it right because that's how he's gonna get better. Game reps, uh, UConn transition um, definitely improved. It's up to fifty-one percent um, shooting from the field in those transition possessions, which ranks one hundred eighty-six in the country. There was a time where we were we were close to last, so it's it's jumped up a lot. Um, Book Knight is 51% from the field in transition. Martin is 53% in transition. Gaffney, 57%. Uh, Polly, 40%. Jackson, only 18 possessions. Classified as transition is 78% because they're mostly dunks. Cole, 70 possessions, uh, 36% from the field. He's the only one under 40%. However, he's got 22 assists, which um, by far leads the team. Book Knight is next with six assists in transition. All right, Passover coming up at the end of the month, March 27th. So we've got our four questions. So, Manishtana Halila Hazad. No, I'm just playing. Uh, those who get it, LOL, right? All right, so number one, the Maryland pick and roll offense versus the Yukon pick and roll defense. Talked about it a little bit earlier, almost a quarter of Maryland's possessions end in the pick and roll, and in those possessions, they are good. All right, Terps shoot 44% in pick and rolls, 54th in the country. Turgeon's willing to put five different players in ball screens and all are able to make a play. Let me just pull up those five guys just so we got it. So pick and roll, yep, Ayala, 175 possessions. Wiggins, 123 possessions. Morcel, 78 possessions. Hart, 50 possessions. Even Scott at 6'7", 26 possessions. Turgeon will throw him in that role so maryland four different players shooting over 40 percent on their keeps this year we're going to zone in on ayala he's one of the best players in the country at finishing in the pick and roll so he's said it earlier again 55 percent shooting on his 92 keeps of players who have over 50 possessions keeping the ball in the pick and roll ayala ranks 12th out of 100 out of sorry 570 division one players so again Players who have over 50 possessions keeping the ball in the pick and roll, that's 570 Division I players. Ayala ranks 12th. Majority of the time, he is taking it to the rack. Very seldom does he reject a screen and occasionally off the dribble jumper. As we know, UConn defends pick and roll with a hard hedge, weak side help, and then a recover from the big man who was hedging. All right, so the goal of the hard hedge force the ball handler towards half court, and in an ideal world, force the ball out of his hands. So in order to avoid Ayala from getting downhill and into the basket, the combination, whether it's Sonogo, Whaley, Carlton, and then whoever's his primary defender, most likely Cole or or Gaffney, maybe Martin sees some time, maybe Booknight, okay? They're going to have to contain, 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 force him either towards backcourt, towards the sideline in kind of a no-man situation. And then 
But after the hard hedge, after the double, then comes the interesting part. So if Maryland, if it's Smith at 6'9", if he's setting the ball screen, he's rolling to the rim. That's what he does. So our MIG or our weak side defender for UConn will have to be planted in the paint, discouraging the pass to the roller, to Smith. Smith, 7 for 12 on rolls this year. Overall, he's 57% from the, from the field around the basket in non-post-up situations, meaning he's able to finish okay around the hoop pretty well. So we're going to have to have the MIG there to discourage the shot, all right, while our hard hedger and our primary um, on-ball defender is forcing Ayala, again, towards backcourt or towards the sideline, okay? But if it's Scott or Hamilton setting the screen, they're going to pop or they're going to slip. They're going to set, quote-unquote, ghost screen. When when we coached or when I coached, I coached, I act like I'm an old man. I'm 27, right? But ghost screen, we called it the clay screen because I every time the Warriors, Clay Thompson, would go to set a, a ball screen on the perimeter, but he would just basically slip it, not even set it, and just run right at the defender and then end up popping out to the three-point line and got – very open look so it's called a ghost screen i like to call it a clay screen so on the year uh scott and hamilton are combined 20 for 46 on these pops off a ball screen and so the pop like we just mentioned on the three-point line something more and more common in today's basketball it's something that uconn's been familiar with this year seton hall marquette um, Villanova also, I didn't include them in the write-up of Villanova. They have players who will regularly pop off the ball screen. So it was Mamu for Seton Hall, uh, Garcia for Marquette, um, Samuels or, or uh, Robinson Earl for Villanova, okay? Those are guys who will play the four, sometimes the stretch five, okay? And it's either ball screen, pop to the three-point line, all right? So Scott and Hamilton both fill this mold, okay? And I'd imagine Hurley and staff, they're pouring over their film to see you know, okay, what do we want to do? Um, this is what we did against Marquette, against Garcia. This is what we did against Mamu, against Seton Hall. This is what we did against Robinson Earl and Villanova. How do we want to best defend it? Against Villanova, there was some times where UConn just decided to switch one through five, even with Sunogo as the five. Okay, if Whaley's the five, you're a little bit better off, I would say, because Whaley can guard guards. Okay, what would happen, though, was Villanova, who's one of the best teams in the country at this, they just sought out mismatches and they took advantage and UConn had some breakdowns and it was what it was. But it was interesting that we tried because we at least laid the groundwork because maybe it's something we come back to against Maryland, depending on how it's going, depending on how our pick and pop coverage is. So I was watching a little bit of the Seton Hall film uh, from the second time we played them from our win. And the way it worked was Mamu would pop to the top of the key and it would be it would be if there was two weak side defenders. So say Mamu sets a ball screen at the top of the key and he pops to the right wing, okay? And then there was also a Seton Hall player in the right corner, okay? So there would, the guy who was in the right corner defending the right corner guy would pop up on a Mamu, okay? And then we would just have a rotation. But what ended up happening was Sonogo would end up on a guard, okay? Because um, he was guarding big man Ike, uh, Obiagu, but we'd get like in these weird rotations and luckily a lot of times it was at the end of the shot clock so we wouldn't have to worry about it and next thing you know the shot clock's going off you know the ref's hitting the top of his head all that fun stuff my dad's favorite signal you know the top of the head top of the head uh for shot clock but it is interesting because then but then there were times where Seton Hall would put everyone on the baseline besides um Samuels and Mamu Mamu would just set the drag screen would pop and you'd get an open look because everyone all the help is on the baseline so you get in situations like that, like there was a possession where Tyrese Martin was guarding Mamu, which is something to, to monitor. Okay, I wouldn't be surprised if Martin saw some time on Hamilton or Scott. Okay, just as a different look. But what happened is 
it, with that Martin, it was like Martin and Polly, and they just were able to switch it. Okay? And if it's Martin and Whaley, you're able to switch it. If it's Martin, Sonogo, maybe. Okay? So it's just interesting. And again, we are going to come back to the hard hedge, all right? And so by forcing the ball handle to the half court with active feet, more importantly, active hands, creates a tough pass to the original screener, and then it buys enough time for that potential of a weak side defender to get in position to stunt, all right? Or doing the full rotation and then rotating out of it. Um, so, and another thing I noticed uh, when we played Marquette and Seton Hall is, especially in roll and replace situations, okay, so a big man sets a ball screen, he rolls, and then it would, like, be Garcia or Mamu lifting to the top of the key. Our bigs would just switch that. So let's say Whaley's hedging, so no goes our MIG. On the roll, okay, so on the roll, on the roll and replace, Sonogo would wait until Whaley got there, but then he would just go take the guy who popped, and then Whaley would return um, to Sonogo's man. I think that was a little confusing. I'm, like, going a mile a minute right now. But we would just end up switching that. It's almost like a that's, – it's starting to become a popular thing where you just switch on the rotation um, rather than going to your, to your original – original man so we'll see what we do against maryland okay ayala very good in the ball screen they like to pop um you know with scott with hamilton we'll see how uconn defends it um definitely your classic hard hedge mig that will be there and then whether there's any switching going on one through five one through four we'll see second point second question i guess is just Adama Sonogo, all right, right? Co Biggie's freshman of the year, proven to be a legitimate threat for UConn offense, especially of late. Scored in double figures, four straight games, averaging 13.3 points per game on 66% shooting. Uh, biggest knock on him right now is he's a freshman. What does that mean? Commit silly fouls, like over the backs on free throws. He's also adjusting the high level of officiating, which basically means keep your arms out, play with your chest, don't put your hands on anyone. All right. Additionally, when he battles for post, he, he it's like one a game he gets called when he's trying to battle for post position on defense, right? Um, just got to use his forearms. He likes to use his hands, um, and then he gives that that cute look that he gives, and everyone is like, "Why is that a foul?" But anyways, it's a freshman. It's easy for officials to pick on him, um, and unfortunately, he's been on the wrong side of plenty of tough calls. But um, when he's on the court, though. He's an option, and he's given you kind of post-up threat that they haven't had in years. I think early when he got the job, he wanted Carlton to be that threat. Didn't end up being the case, but um, we've obviously seen it more and more that this dude's for real. And over the last few games, the way Hurley's used him is through essentially just ball screens. So we'd have some false action, maybe like a dribble weave, um, and then Sonogo would go set a ball screen for either Booknight, Cole, maybe sometimes Gaffney. Then as the ball handler comes off the screen, they're always looking to score. Coming off the screen, always looking to score. Your eyes tell the story. As Sonogo rolls to the rack. So now if they have the shot, they shoot it. If Sonogo's open, they dish it. But what happens is teams, you know, after enough reps are in one game are okay defending the pick and roll. And so neither the initial ball screen, the initial attack off the ball screen isn't there and the initial dump off off the ball screen isn't there. So... We would end up throwing it maybe like to the wing and to the corner. And while we're doing that, Sonogo is getting his post position on the block. All right. So, yes, it's a ball screen to score, but it's also a way to get Sonogo the ball on the block. And as we've seen, when he gets it on the block, his footwork and touch is is good enough 
to get a to get a good shot against against really anyone. So, you know, our ball screen offense, it's become a very large staple to this offense. Um, essentially a two-step process. Again, you're looking to score, and then you're looking to give a post-entry, <clears throat> excuse me, to Sonogo once he gets position. The only reason, you know, whole reason why I'm bringing that up is to talk about Maryland's front line and how they've been guarding the post. You know, we did run a horns rip set that was popular while Book Knight was out. It hasn't really been used of late. I'm curious to see if it makes its way back into the playbook. But on to Maryland's front line. 6'7 Scott, 6'8 Hamilton, 6'9 Smith, allowing 47% shooting. Not terrible considering the undersized front court they've had to go against Cockburn, Dickinson, Garza combined five times. And just to dive a little deeper on that, first time they play Michigan, Dickinson, 10 for 11 on twos. They play Iowa, Garza, 7 for 10 on twos. They play Illinois, Cockburn, 8 for 10 on twos. Then the last two times they played Michigan, they held Dickinson to combine four of eight on twos. And so now I'm not saying that Sonogo is anywhere near on the level of these big men yet. And clearly Maryland saw something in those second and third times playing Michigan of how to defend Dickinson and limit his touches. But it's just something to monitor if Sonogo can stay on the floor. Okay, clearly, you know, again, these are very, very talented big men that they're going against, but they're putting the ball in the rack. And it's not like it's like two for four, three for six. This is 10 for 11, seven for 10, eight for 10. So, you know, again, we'll see, you know, maybe Maryland's defense, as that was, again, those matchups were a lot earlier in the year. So maybe they figured something out. Maybe I'm just not diving deep enough into, into box scores, but something to monitor. When UConn's on defense, I don't think Sonogo should have a problem defending Smith. Um, However, Scott and Hamilton have seen a majority of the minutes at the five. They're far more perimeter-oriented. They'll post up occasionally about average success. So as long as Sonogo isn't foul-prone, should have no problem defending um, them on the block. On the perimeter, like we talked about, we'll see what happens. But I will say his defensive footwork has improved dramatically because game repetition, game repetition, game repetition. Okay, Especially when he's returned to his man after that hard hedge, he's gotten a lot better on. But... Again, Maryland's going to pick and pop more than pick and roll, so we'll see how he recovers of that. Um, if Sonogo is in foul trouble or struggles on defense, obviously not the end of the world. Uh, did a little deep dive according to the CBB analytics lineup of Cole, Booknight, Martin, Polly, Whaley. Has a net rating of plus 47 in 29 minutes. Similarly, if you replace Martin with Gaffney, so lineup of Gaffney, Cole, Booknight, Polly, Whaley. That's got a net rating of 76.6 in 19 minutes. We obviously want Sonogo to avoid foul trouble, play enough good enough defense, stay on the court. But those lineups, Whaley at the five, Polly, who's definitely improved defensively as the year has gone on, okay? Um, either Martin or, or, or Gaffney as that third guard, and then Booknight and Cole, who have both become very, very good in pick and rolls. Booknight obviously more so off handoffs and whatnot, but just... It's good stuff. Uh, real quick, I just want to check. Um, so Maryland defending pick and rolls, right? We talked about how that's been a big staple. Maryland, um, a little below average, allowing scores on 39% of pick and rolls, ranks 227th in the country. So we got UConn, hopefully RJ Cole's good to go in the pick and roll, knife through the defense, throw a book night in pick and rolls. Hopefully Sonogo has his hands ready. Um, Terps allowing 52% shooting when opponents have passed to the screener. So that's something else to monitor. 
And when the ball handler keeps it, Maryland allowing scores on 37% of possessions, which ranks 231st. So, again, UConn's numbers with the pick and roll, pretty solid. They've improved as the year's gone on, especially with the emergence of Sonogo. Cole's gotten used to the scoring. So just something, something to monitor. Number three, phase three, transition basketball. I feel like anytime we're talking about UConn, um, or anytime we're talking about the transition game with UConn, we always have to mention the opponent. So, you know, from the first Marquette game on, Hurley has consistently made a point to talk about playing faster and take advantage of those advantageous situations. You're four on three, you're three on two, you're two on one, you're three on one, you're four on two, all those. So with Book Knight out, it wasn't great. Okay, but now that he's back, I, they've definitely picked up the slack. I think it's been a known, you know, you can see it on the court, like we get a rebound or steal and it's off, right? We get guys out going the wing trying to hit ahead we get quote unquote out of the mud thank you porter moser and we try to get down the court book knight's usually in the charge he's got one thing in mind get to the rim colin gaffney meanwhile consistently looking up the court trying to hit ahead tyler Polly get into his spot um i feel like we've lost a little bit of martin in transition but part of that is because andre jackson has become a lonzo-esque passer in in transition so makes sense that there's been a little decrease in martin but um, it's options, right? Far more options that we had than w- than when Book Knight was was out. So, at this point in the year, UConn ranks 236th in effective field goal percentage according to HoopMath.com. Um, again, that ranking's not good. I believe there was a point where we we're 342nd. I could be wrong, but I'm almost positive that's not good. So, in the last six weeks, we've jumped over 100 spots, which is great. Um, books, you know, book being healthy helps. And also, you know, we talked about this a lot. Successful transition offense takes time, takes commitment. Okay, Hurley and Co. never wavered. If anything, when Book Knight came back, they doubled down on it. Okay, and I think it, you know, the staff feels very comfortable giving the keys to anyone of the UConn guards to push the ball in transition. Maryland, meanwhile, middle of the pack, ranking 164th in effective field goal percentage defense when it comes to transition. Um, but now let's move to the other side of the ball. Or, yeah, so Maryland going in transition offense, UConn transition defense. So according to Ken Palm, Maryland, 317th in adjusted tempo, 285th in average possession length. According to hoopmath.com, only 22% of their field goals come from transition, which ranks 310th in the country. So they like a nice half-court slowdown game. However, in those transition offense possessions, Maryland has an effective field goal percentage of 59.4 that ranks 42nd in the country so when the terps decide to take advantage of those transition opportunities they're very good at converting but it's clear they're very selective the group very selective they're very selective in when they want to run meanwhile uconn ranks 335th in transition defense when it comes to effective field goal percentage not good so this begs the question, will Maryland look to push the tempo a little bit more, given that you kind of struggle to, transi- to defend transition offense? However, a bit of a catch-22. Since if they try to push the tempo, I would think that's almost playing more into UConn's hands, where they've been a team that's wanted to use their defense to turn it into offense and wants to play up-tempo basketball. And I will add one more thing. Our buddy Benny Canner read the article, texted me right away. A lot of praise. Also, 
made the point, and this is a key point, that part of the reason why our transition defense numbers aren't good is because we attack the offensive glass so much and so well. So it's very hard to be good at both those things. I think if you're probably, you could be average at both or a little above average at one, a little below average at another, but it kind of makes sense that UConn commits so much to the offensive glass, they put so much pressure on the opponent that, hey, we got to box out, we got to make sure we got the rebound, that therefore the opponent can't get out and run as well. And when they do, UConn's already at a disadvantage in terms of numbers because they're attacking the glass so hard. So it's a very good point, and it makes a lot of sense, and it should be noted. On to number four, James Booknight versus Daryl Morsell. Daryl Morsell, Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year. If Booknight had played more games, very good chance that he would, be, would have been the Big East Player of the Year instead. Big East had a three-way tie. Uh, Booknight walked away with all Big East first-team honors. Morsell, Booknight, both about 6'5". So it'll be definitely a matchup to watch, senior versus sophomore. Been trying to find film on Morsell. Stumbled upon a video made by the Big Ten Network. It's labeled Daryl Morsell, named Defensive Player of the Year. I thought, great. Here comes 15 minutes of him locking up Ayo Dos- Dosonumu, Rocket Watts, maybe Isaiah Livers, maybe Wieskamp from Iowa. I was like, yeah, let's go. This is going to be a video of why he was the Defensive Player of the Year. So within the first about eight minutes, the video featured three defensive possessions, and the rest were him scoring on offense. I don't really care for his offense right now. I want to see what makes him such a good defender. I could go a little bit more of a deep dive on him and try to find it. I'm not going to do that. What I will say from the video, he's long, he's bouncy, he can move. He reminds me of a richer man's Kobe McCune from Marquette who essentially shut down Book Knight in that first matchup. Marquette also threw four defenders on Book Knight within the first five minutes of action, consistently had five guys watching him. That's the way to stop him, is all five defenders are worried about him. I would assume Maryland and their defensive metrics and how good they've been suggest that they will do more of the same. You stop Book Knight, you put yourself in a very good position to succeed. So... We shall see. I did look at some synergy numbers. Book Knight is at his best in handoffs, isolations, and pick and rolls. In those three categories, he's above 40% shooting from the field. And then it goes off the dribble at 36%, off the screen at 33%, spot up 29%, catch and shoot 22%. Morsell's defense. His three worst categories happen to be defending off handoffs, defending off isolations, defending off pick and rolls. Now, the isolation part is really the only one where you can say, hey, that's definitely on him, I would say. And again, if he's going against those top players, it makes sense that that number is a little bit high. The handoffs and the pick and rolls, it's a little bit tricky because you don't know, you know, what's his big man doing on the hedge? Is he helping him? Is he late on the rotation? You know, what's the... uh, the defender who's guarding the ball, what are they doing? Are they discouraging a pass? All those factors. But it's still just something to monitor. Again, Book Knight's three best offensive categories, handoff, isolation, pick and roll, happen to be more so's three worst categories, handoff, isolation, pick and roll. Again, Big Ten, a lot of very good guards, a lot of good players. So numbers could be a little bit more inflated than you may think. So, um, 
you know, from what I hear, though, I didn't watch much Maryland this year. From what I hear, Marcel, legit good defender. But <laughs> I will say, and I'm not here to knock anybody, but it's just interesting. He won the award following essentially an ad campaign from his teammates, which is great. You love to see it. It's just interesting. So, again, we'll certainly find out on Saturday, primetime, 7-10, CBS, if he's the real deal. Last, last, last thing. Mentioned it very briefly. RJ Cole ball screens since the first Georgetown game. It's been a thing. Okay? He's been extremely good at it. It's what he was very good at, Howard at. He's finally found his footing. Now, Maryland's got a big backcourt, 6'5", 6'5", 6'6". But... Cole has become one of the best guards I've seen this year at keeping his defender in jail. So basically you come off that ball screen, and if the guy had hard-hedged, which a lot of teams do, he's now behind the play, right? So he's going to be – so sorry. Big man hard-hedges, the guy guarding Cole will go over the screen. So if he's going over the screen, he's now behind Cole. And when we say keeping in jail, you best essentially like stick your butt out or like keep your off arm out and like keep him behind you as you go. Okay, Steve Nash is really good at this. Mike Smith of Michigan has been really, really good at this year. And it helps because you're a smaller guard, and now you can keep that bigger defender on your back. As you get into the paint, you look for options, or you go into your floater or hit the roller. So Cole was in concussion protocol. Judging by a video, looks like he might have been practicing. Success of UConn relies a lot of lot on Cole. If he's not able to go, it's it's scary. It's scary, but hopefully he's healthy. First and foremost, he's healthy, and he can play, and he's back to himself. Not that he ever left being himself, but that he just is himself, I should say. Last thing. You guys remember in, like, January and early February during conference play where it was like, what are these weird lineups? Why are we playing this lineup? Hurley subs all these guys out, yada, 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 yada. Do you think those lineups helped us be in the position we're now? Do you think those lineups helped Jalen Gaffney become comfortable running the offense? Do you think those lineups gave confidence to Sonogo, to Polly, to Cole, to Martin? Do you think those lineups gave confidence to the coaching staff that, hey, we can survive without book night? School day's over, you can hear the bell. Remote day, none of the kids are in the building right now. Do you think those lineups gave confidence to book night in that, hey, maybe I don't need to do it all. My teammates have proven that they can play too. UConn 6-0 when playing nine guys 10-plus minutes. All Big East games. Not Hartford, not Central Connecticut. All Big East games, UConn 6-0 when playing nine guys 10-plus minutes. You don't play for January. You don't play for February. You play for March, and this is March. Thanks so much for listening. It's great to be back. Great to be back in the NCAA tournament. As always, go Huskies.